This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello and welcome to Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love. I'm Merritt Johnston and I'm sitting in today for host Carmen Pate. Carmen is currently undergoing chemo treatments for leukemia, so we greatly appreciate your prayers on her behalf. We have already seen powerful answers to prayer in this season of Carmen's life, and she looks forward to rejoining the podcast soon. So we thank you again for your prayers. In today's episode, we'll be responding to questions from our listeners. But before we get to those questions, I'm excited to introduce today's guest, Dr. Dave Anderson. Dr. Anderson currently serves as the president of Gray School of Theology, in addition to his ministry as an author, speaker, and professor of biblical languages. Dr. Anderson, welcome back to Saving Grace. Thank you very much. Look forward to what we're going to do. Absolutely. So one of our listeners wrote in asking for input on a struggle I think many Christians face. He writes, how do I know if my obedience to God is coming from faith and the spirit or from my human efforts and the flesh? What would you say to those who are struggling to pinpoint their motivation for doing good in their spiritual life? Well, it's a great question and really, in some respects, not an easy one to answer. But in general, as we keep going in the Christian life, I think we get sensitized to when the flesh is kicking in. And quite often we sense it from the attitudes we have. Uh, The works of the flesh, of course, a lot of them are internal. Uh, not, not something anyone can see, you know, like anger, and bitterness, jealousy, uh, just in general bad attitudes. Um, also, I think you can kind of taste when you're um, uh, doing something selfishly or perhaps for your own glory. Uh, I think, if it, at least for, I can kind of tell when I'm starting to feel puffed up, you sure. know. And someone may not see it looking, but I can feel it, actually. Uh, And so those are all, you know, indications of the flesh. Um, I think also if you're you're getting really frustrated, that could be an indication it's being done by the flesh. And, of course, uh, the uh, person asking the question is absolutely right. You can do good works uh, through the energy of the flesh, or you can do them by the power of the Spirit. And that's why in Galatians 3.3 he says, uh, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Are you now going on to uh, teleos, which is maturity, uh, by the flesh? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now going on by the flesh? So he indicates uh, the big problem in sanctification is the same as the justification. We want to get in there. Uh, and that's the default setting of our flesh is to get involved in the process through our own energy, through our own works. And um, it, just, it just is not productive. Now, I think by the same token, when you're walking by the Spirit, you can sense that. Uh, again, the uh, fruit of the Spirit is primarily internal. Uh, you sense it on the inside. Do you have the joy of the Lord? Do you have uh, love for people where in many situations you might not love them, well then you can know that's a supernatural thing going on in your life uh, uh, from the Spirit. Uh, and when you have patience or long-suffering, uh, and really the, the word there in 
Galatians is to have a long fuse when you, you know, you're, you're in, uh, when you have self-control. Uh, th these are all fruit of the Spirit, and I think you can sense that. Uh, you say, well, is this a feeling? Are you living your Christian life by feelings? Uh, well, you, you live it by faith, and uh, walking by faith often doesn't feel good. Uh, we're told that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. Well, we know he was out there 40 days and probably didn't feel good a lot right. of the time. But since he was led by the Spirit, I think even in the desert, he could enjoy the fruit of the Holy Spirit uh, within himself. And uh, uh, there, I think that does involve uh, human emotions. I think joy is a human emotion. So those are some of the ways, without going on and on and on, that I think you can, you can sense one from the other. And also as you keep going, you, you, you get more and more used to, oh, that's my flesh. I can tell that's my flesh. Uh, and then when, when uh, you, something supernatural is going on, I think you can sense that as well. So uh, short answer, that's how I would respond. Absolutely. I think that's a great response. And you referenced the book of Galatians several times. And I think within that book, we see the Apostle Paul really wrestling with legalism creeping into the church. And this listener shared uh, in his email that his motivation in the past was based on a self-imposed legalism. How would you define legalism? And why do you think it's such a struggle for believers? Well, I think it's a struggle not just for believers, but for unbelievers. Because I think uh, I, I'll not equate the two, but legalism is very wrapped up in a performance uh, system. And I think we're all born with that. I think as a, a part of our fall, we feel very insecure and very insignificant. We're in the garden. Uh, Adam, I think, felt completely secure. Uh, that comes from being loved and having your needs provided. All that was in the garden and fellowship with the Father. I think he felt completely significant because he was CEO of a great company, Planet Definitely. Earth. And he could name the animals and take dominion over the earth. So, but when he, when he fell, uh, we might look at these as two containers within the human being. A, a cylinder here for our significance and a cylinder here for our uh, security. I think those went completely empty. He felt totally insecure. That's why he's out hiding felt completely insignificant because he was fired. He got put out of a job. And uh, so I think then the flesh, uh, which I'm calling our sin nature in this case, will grab onto anything it can to make us feel more secure and more significant. And quite often, those tend to be the things we're good at. And, and we are born with certain natural talents and abilities. And so, um, if I'm good at something, uh, almost doesn't matter what it is, my flesh will grab onto that, latch onto that, and then uh, focus on it uh, to give myself strokes as I uh, am growing up. So if you, I often tell people in going on to maturity in Christ, if you're good looking, get over it. If you're rich, get over it. If you're intelligent, get over it. All these things, which are not bad in and of themselves, uh, the flesh can use, though, to give you this sense of significance or, or security. And they will become stumbling blocks, it says in Philippians 3, 
disadvantages is, is the word used there. Stumbling blocks are disadvantages when it comes to Christian maturity. They're things that are blessings from God, but sometimes the flesh will take even God's blessings and use it uh, to trip us up when it becomes uh, living for Him and His glory, etc. Right. I think uh, legalism, even just for me, I know that's been a struggle in the past. I grew up in the church and, and became a believer at such a young age. And so, as you said, uh, it's, it's one of those things where I think the enemy really used that as an entry point into my life. And really, I can sense when legalism is creeping in because it does begin to rob your joy of serving the Lord. You have these self-imposed uh, set of expectations, and so you feel this weight and this burden that you don't have whenever you're serving out of uh, love for the Lord. So how can a grace-filled, a love-filled view restore our joy in serving God as opposed to a legalistic motivation? Well, legalism is, as you say, self-imposed, but it's a have-to life. I have to perform. And by performance here, I'm saying uh, live up to or according to this self-imposed standard. Now, I say self-imposed. Maybe the standard is set up by the church I go to. But I adopt it, so in that sense, it's a self-imposed uh, standard. And it may have nothing to do with the church. I, I can be never going to church and still be a legalist by setting up some standard. If I don't perform up to it, uh, then I feel badly about myself. My sense of self-worth is diminished. And so I feel I have to, have to, have to, have to. That, that's the key. I have to, I have to, I have to. Uh, and... Anytime you tell me I have to do something, I might do it, but the joy probably won't be there. Sure. Now, if you tell me, uh, here's something you might want to do, and here are the reasons why you might want to do it, and I choose to do it, uh, especially if it's out of a thank you for something already given to me, uh, then there's joy. So, for example, uh, Christ died on the cross for my sins, and they're all forgiven past, present, and future. Well, I remember when that happened to me. I immediately wanted to do something to thank him. Right. It was just the natural response. I, wow. I mean, and, and it's kind of, if you get a really nice gift from somebody, don't you, I mean, you appreciate it. Don't you kind of want to do something to thank them? Absolutely. You know? And, and so uh, I think the, the Christian life is a thank you life. And Larry Moyer of Avantel is, the first one I heard express it that way, but I love it. It's a, it's a thank you life instead of a have to life. So that takes the uh, uh, Christian life out of being a job into being a joy. You know. Absolutely, that's a, a game changer in our faith yeah. for sure. So sadly, legalism not only places us under the tyranny of unfair expectations, but it also tends to breed a sense of entitlement sometimes. One listener shared that in his past, he often served with the expectation that God owed him blessings in exchange for his good works. How is this entitlement view off track in our theological understanding of who God is? Well, it's the whole idea that we can put God in debt. And, you know, that's why... You know, Matthew 20, the parable of the vineyard, the guys who worked longer were really angry when uh, the Lord of the harvest came back because they were getting the same amount as people who only worked an hour. Sure. They didn't think that right was right. In other words, hey, 
You owe me more than that guy. It's the whole idea of you owe me. And so uh, when it comes to uh, spiritual legalism uh, between us and God, it's my performing, back to my performing, my performing uh, according to whatever I think is the standard. And by doing so, he should bless me. I remember one particular pastor who had left the ministry and uh, he, I got with him uh, and uh, he was angry. He was angry at uh, his elders. He was angry at God. He was angry at his wife. He was just angry. He was so angry, I just sat and listened. And I met with him about once a month for years. Finally, I, <laughs> that's a long time. Sure. And finally, I just looked at him and said, yeah, we'll call him Bob. I said, Bob, you know what your problem is? No, what's my problem? I said, you're a legalist. I'm not a legalist. I have preached the book of Galatians three times. I know legalism. I said, well, it's obvious you're a legalist. How can you say that? It's because you're angry at God. You cannot get angry at God if you don't think he owes you. Wow. And didn't pay. See? And because you have sacrificed what you could have been, and we'll call what we'll call the secular world, uh, you think he owes you a good marriage. He owes you great children. He owes you an appreciative, respectful elder board. Uh, he owes you good health. He owes you all kinds of things in your mind. Well, that's the essence of legalism, is to say, God owes me. Mm. That's a, a powerful and a very convicting thought, isn't it? Our, our guest today is Dr. Dave Anderson, president of Grace School of Theology. In this episode, we're responding to questions from our listeners. Later in the program, we'll tell you how to learn more about our seminary and, more importantly, how you can become involved, either as a student or as a supporter of God's great work at Grace. Now let's get back to our discussion on legalism versus grace. Dr. Anderson, legalism can definitely impact our view of God, as we discussed earlier. In the Gospels, we see legalism at play so often in Jesus' interactions with religious leaders like the Pharisees. How did Jesus confront legalism when it was so pervasive in his culture? Well, I think one way he tried to confront it was by showing them that true spirituality is not from the outside in. You remember in the chapter, he got so upset with the what would you scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, call them whitewashed walls or tombs, but they were rotting bones on the inside. And then in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in verse 20 of chapter 5, he just says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, he goes on then to say, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. You've heard it said, but I say unto you. You've heard it said, but I say unto you. And whenever he says you've heard it said, he's referring to a teaching of the Pharisees. And invariably, it was an external rule. Nothing wrong with some of these rules. For example, you've heard it said you shouldn't commit adultery. All right, well, that's essentially one of the Ten Commandments. Nothing wrong with that, okay? Uh, but he said... But I say unto you, if you lust after a woman with the intent, I think it goes a little more than just looking, with the intent of uh, adultery, uh, you've already sinned in your heart. Uh, or if you um, commit a murder, that's wrong. Nothing wrong. That's a good rule, right? Right. But he says if you're angry against your brother without a cause, you're already guilty of hellfire. And uh, so he keeps going from external to internal, external to internal. I think what he's trying to say is that uh, 
true spirituality uh, can't be legislated. It can't be from the outside in. It starts on the inside. It's from the inside out. And so I think he was trying to show them uh, that the source of this dynamic life he wants us to have and enjoy is not by keeping a set of rules that can be measured from the outside in. Right. I think that's so, so much of why the Pharisees were against Jesus, uh, because they had operated under that set of rules and, and had the power uh, to, to a great degree because they were establishing a lot of those rules. And so I think when Jesus arrived on the scene, that really uh, was a, a game changer in a negative way for them and that Jesus was saying there's a completely different way to do life. And so as we've discussed, legalism, it impacts our personal spiritual walk and it impacts our view of God, but it also impacts the way we view others. As a former pastor and church planner, what impact have you seen and do you see in the church today resulting from legalism? Well, of course, one of the problems with legalism is I can't live up to my standard. So not only does that cause a loss of joy, but along with that is guilt. Uh, guilt is uncomfortable, so I need to do something with it. And if I, if I have a, attached a lightning rod to my head, that's very helpful. And uh, that lightning rod then uh, passes my guilt off onto you. So if I can observe you and decide that you're not living up to my standard either, as a matter of fact, you're not living up to it as well as I. <laughs> then I feel much better about myself. And we call that judgmentalism. And my, my, the New Testament has an awful lot to say about the problem of judgmentalism. In fact, he says, uh, one of my the most fascinating verses to me is when the Pharisees were upset with um, Jesus' disciples for picking corn on the Sabbath. And he says, you know, you guys need to go learn this. God desires mercy before sacrifice. Now, the interesting thing I find in that uh, verse is the word learn. It is not natural to be merciful. Right. Our flesh is vengeful. Uh, and he actually says, you need to go learn this. And later on, we're told in uh, James chapter 2, that someday we will be judged without mercy if we have judged others without mercy. So for myself, <laughs> I need a lot of mercy someday uh, when I see Christ. And so I've purposed uh, to be very merciful if I can. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, again in Galatians, he says uh, we're to use our freedom not for the flesh but to serve one another in love. And he says, watch out. Be careful, lest you bite and devour one another. And so he, he, he seems to think if we're sitting around inspecting one another's fruit and measuring ourselves in this way and trying to justify ourselves where we are, uh, we can destroy the church. Uh, we can uh, just tear one another down completely. And, and that breeds all the gossip and other problems that churches have. So all that comes out of legalism. I love the passage in James uh, uh, toward the end when uh, the people are sitting around grumbling and uh, complaining. It's a courtroom setting. And it's as though they're in there and the judge hasn't come in yet and they're kind of verbalizing their 
case and uh, yapping and arguing and biting one another. And all of a sudden, the Roman victor comes in. The Roman uh, lictor, I said, not victor, lictor came. His role was to announce the coming of the judge. So he comes in, slaps, pounds the door and says, Behold, the judge stands before the door. Well, all of a sudden, there's silence. The people stop yapping at one another. Why? Because the judge is there to do the judging. Right. There's no point in us doing it. Sure. And so he says we should live that way. Uh, live as though he could come today. And when he comes, you know, he'll take care of it if there's a problem. So as Jesus did, and uh, or says he did in First Peter chapter 2, you know, when he was reviled, he didn't revile back, you know. Uh, but he committed himself to the one who would judge justly. And so oftentimes, uh, as we go through this life, we are going to be treated unfairly. And uh, we will want to get in there and make it right. Uh, but sometimes trying to make it right can stir up more problems than, than not. And so in times like that, you commit yourself to the one who will judge justly. And boy, do we look forward to that day. Absolutely. There is so much goodness and justice in this world that if there's not another world where things are going to be made right, then as Albert Camus said, this whole world is nonsense. Right. I think it's definitely a great comfort to, to know that he is our vindicator. Mm. And I think we definitely get ourselves into trouble when we take our eyes off Christ and we really engage in this comparison Christianity. Mm -hmm. I think that's a dangerous uh, uh, path for us to take because we really do lose sight of what we need to be uh, working on and allowing the Holy Spirit to, to bear that fruit in our own lives because we are so consumed with looking at everyone else. Yeah. And so I think when we just put our focus back on Christ, that uh, enables us to uh, remove those comparison tendencies in our, in our life. How, how can a grace approach versus a legalistic approach help us be more fruitful? Uh, we're talking about being able to walk by the Spirit, to, to no longer be governed by the flesh, but to, to be fruitful uh, through the Spirit. How can we be more fruitful in our relationships at home, at work, and in ministry by, by, by transitioning from this legalism approach to a grace approach? Well, for one thing, I think when you uh, are living a thank you life, you're also learning to abide in the vine. If you're living a legalistic life, you're probably not abiding. You're out there working hard. And the Christian life is not a much, as much of a work as it is a rest. Now, I'm not saying you won't produce good works. Ephesians 2.10 says we were created to do good works, but it's the MO, it's how we do it, etc. But in, in John 15 there, in Abiding in the Vine, he makes a promise. He says, you will produce fruit. You will produce fruit. Well, how do you do that? Well, uh, imagine a, uh, an orange tree. It doesn't get up in the morning and do calisthenics so it can produce <laughs> fruit, right? It allows the sap to flow through and fruit is produced. So it's the same, I think, with us. As we abide in the vine, we allow the Holy Spirit uh, to move in and through us. And the promise is there. You will produce fruit. I don't think the fruit there is referring to you're going to lead 100 people to Christ. That could be part of it. Uh, but I think it, it just enjoying the fruit of the Spirit is, is, is part of it as well. Uh, I also think in Romans 8, you know, he says to be carnally minded is, is death. 
but to be spiritually minded or to be fleshly minded, same as carnal, a mind set on the flesh is death, but uh, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Well, the life he's referring to there is the life he talked about at the end of uh, chapter 6. And it's that full life he talks about. And he also talks about that kind of life producing fruit. Uh, so I think when we have our minds set on things of the Spirit, uh, we will enjoy the life and peace and the fruit of the Spirit. That all comes from a, uh, a walk of faith instead of a walk by the flesh. Definitely. I think when we can come to this place of realizing that Christ has to fulfill all the needs that we have, it does change the way that we place expectations on others. Whenever my husband and I are visiting with younger uh, couples or, or even folks that are engaged and are, are about to become married, when we talk about just our expectations uh, of each other as husband and wife, if I expect my husband to fulfill the needs in my life that only Christ can fill, then I'm setting him up for failure and myself up for disappointment. But whenever I'm enabling Christ to be able to meet those needs in my life, then I don't have those same set of expectations for my husband. And I think so often that's what enables us to engage others with grace is the opportunity to say Christ is fulfilling and meeting the needs in my life. And so therefore anything that uh, my husband or, or uh, my friends, uh, my family that they do in my life that blesses me, that's just a bonus. It's not an expectation. Uh, and I think if we can uh, approach our relationships that way, it would definitely uh, enable us to uh, have much more peaceful relationships and much more mm -hmm. life-giving relationships if Amen. we can take that approach. So we started our discussion today talking about motivation for good works. Uh, and we've referenced this uh, before, but I think it just bears repeating this beautiful concept of a thank you approach to life rather than a have to approach. So in closing, can you share with us just some final thoughts on how we can approach this week with a thank you approach? Well, uh, and let me don't, I don't want us to stop with thank you. I think that's half the motivation for the Christian life. I think the other half is anticipation. Uh, and this is lost in a lot of uh, Christian teaching. And by anticipation, I'm talking about anticipating the glory that we can bring to him when he comes back. And uh, that's often couched in terms of rewards. You know, the disciples, Peter says in Matthew 19, well, look, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. What are we going to, what are we going to get out of this? And he says, well, when I come back, in the regeneration, he calls it, which means to set up his kingdom, uh, you'll be ruling over the 12 thrones uh, of Israel, 12 tribes of Israel sitting on 12 thrones. But he goes on and says, and everyone who gave up blah, 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 will receive blah, 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 and a hundredfold and eternal life. Right. Now, he's not saying you're going to get in heaven there by doing works. He says you'll enjoy a quality of life and rewards from all that. And ultimately, all those rewards are made up into crowns that we cast before his feet so they bring glory to him forever and ever and ever. So, uh, there are times when I walk through life, and uh, as you go into Christian ministry and start trying to love people, uh, along the way you're going to get hurt. Uh, that's, if you want to avoid being hurt, just don't do anything, right? So, <laughs> Tough right. to do. So then how are you going to respond to those people? Well, my flesh 
wants to retreat, hide, avoid, or attack. I really like attack. <laughs> Just kidding. But I, I like to avoid. So when I see those people, I know I'm supposed to love them. Because Jesus says the apex of Christian maturity is to love your enemy. Well, who's your enemy? Anyone who's hurt you is your enemy. So I go through this little process where I see them. My flesh wants me to go this way, find another hall, hallway. And I said, no, wait a minute. Jesus, I know I'm supposed to love them. But Jesus, I don't love them. I don't even like them. He says, doesn't matter. I love them. I created them. They're my children. So then I say, okay. So he says, now I want you to go love them. I said, well, Lord, I can't. But I know you can, so let's go. And then I go up to them, and I'll say something nice that's genuine. Right. Uh, or just shake their hand, whatever it might be. And in some cases, I find something good I can do for them. Well, that is not natural. No, not, not at all. Not for me. Not for me. And, and, but it's awesome because I know something supernatural is going on. And then I transfer to heaven, and I see eternity, and I see Jesus with all these crowns. And on one of these crowns, there's this tiny, tiny little uh, gleam coming from a very tiny stone that was created when I walked up to that person and let Jesus love him. That is highly motivating for me because I think that that little jewel will shine forever. So the one little thing I do in time, which was very short, uh, can produce something that would glorify Christ forever. I think that's half the motivation for the Christian life. So back to your question, the thank you life. Uh, well, again, uh, just reflecting on all that he's done for us and the natural response is how can it not be to thank him? That's another great thing about church. Um, you know, just yesterday in, in church we were singing uh, about the Lord as we usually do in church and, and there were great songs that reflect on what he's done for us and uh, refreshed my desire once again to live for him and let him take uh, whatever he can from my very much fallen finite life and uh, use it for for his glory. So. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Anderson. If you've been encouraged or challenged by today's program, we encourage you to learn more about Grace School of Theology by visiting our website at www.gsot.edu slash saving grace. That's gsot.edu slash saving grace. While you're there, would you prayerfully consider how God would have you partner with us? Perhaps you're interested in becoming a student like me, or maybe God is calling you to offer financial support so others may learn and the message of grace will continue to spread around the world. We also welcome your questions and comments. Email us at savinggrace at gsot.edu or follow us on Twitter at username at savinggracecast. Be sure to tune into the next edition of Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love. Thanks for joining us, and remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.